Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Booth One, your place for the finest in the art of lively conversation about the arts and popular culture. Coming to you, as always, from our studio high atop Evanston, Illinois, if there is such a thing. I'm not sure how high you can get in Evanston, Illinois. Oh, I'm sure well, you can. <laughs> it is a university town. You it can probably is. get pretty high. It is. Joining me once again in the co-host chair is my friend, Frank Taranjo. How are you surviving the winter, Frank? Pretty good, since it's about 50 degrees right now, as opposed to what it's been the last couple of days. Have you ever thought about traveling to Mars? Have you ever thought about (laughs) interplanetary trips like that? I have not. Well, uh, you might think about that, because parts of Mars were actually warmer this week (laughs) than some parts of Canada. Here, I have statistics. In Edmonton and Yellowknife, you know, Yellowknife is way up there in the Arctic Circle. Uh, Wind chills made it feel like minus 40, (laughs) (laughs) compared to the balmy minus 10. 10 degrees in Mars' Gale Crater. So you, you, you might think about a, a trip to... I will. I'll check planet. with my travel agent and see what kind of deals they've got. I'm, I'm sure you've got the clothing for it. I probably do. And you could teach. <laughs> yeah, Martians have... Yeah, I'll teach Isle of Lucy on Mars. You could do love theater that. on Mars. I will. Monopoly. Fresh audience. Yeah, you're right. Well, we have a wonderful program for you today. I have two guests in the studio, along with myself and Frank, both accomplished stage and screen performers on the Chicago and national scenes. Frank, let's welcome Delia Crop and Penny Slusher to the program. Hey, welcome. Hi, how are you? We're great. Good. It's Thanks. great to be here. Penny, I just saw you recently in The Minutes, the new Tracy Let's Play at yeah. uh, Steppenwolf Theater, uh, and it was phenomenal. We had such a great time. It's closed now here and they're on hiatus while they decide what's going to happen with the show how did you enjoy working on a new tracy let's play well who couldn't be honored and pleased uh, which i was um i've I had worked with Tracy before in workshops uh, of other plays, and I've known him a number of years, but this was extra special because I was in it from the beginning to the end, and he's brilliant. I mean... (laughs) He's pretty brilliant, yeah. (laughs) Without giving too much away to our listeners, can I ask, the blood at the end, is it like just stage blood? Because there's a lot of it. I, hope I it's can't really blood. comment on that. That's <laughs> How many pints did you lose during this show? <laughs> well, they went through a few understudies. Let's <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, Delia, we saw you recently, I think last season, at About Face Theater in a play called I Am My Own Wife. That's right. Tell us a little bit about how that happened, how you got to be doing that play with About Face. I know you approached the artistic director, which is unusual for an, act- mm-hmm. for an actress, to just go right to the top and say, I want to do this. Is that essentially what happened? Yeah. After a 10-year absence, I came back into the profession in 2015. And I was very fortunate to get some readings, you know, sitting behind a uh, music stand and understudy ships. And then by the fall of that year, I thought, well, it would be really nice to actually have a part. And I uh, looked through the literature, because that's where I start. And there was nothing there in terms of transgender parts, which uh-huh. is what I kind of figured would be my entry. Uh-huh. For people to cast me as a trans feminine person in an actual cisgender female part is a stretch. And I get that. I could only come up with one part. And it was, of course, the part of uh, Charlotte von Malsdorf, which is one of 33 parts mm-hmm. that one actor 
did in the original production. Jefferson Mays. Jefferson Mays, and as actually as scripted, one actor is mm-hmm. supposed to play all those roles. And I thought, I don't want to play men parts anymore, any more male-identified parts. And I especially don't want to do a theater event where people see me going back and forth and back mm-hmm. and forth. Makes sense. Because too many people already think that this is not an authentic thing. It's gender identity when the, you're trans. Uh-huh. And, oh, you can just put it on and off. Now, being actors, of course, we jump genders and ages and ethnicities and dialects all the time. Of course. And I get that. But when you're a trans person, you've always got kind of one eye on society and one eye just on your art. You kind of have to right now especially. So, no men. I just wanted to do Charlotta. And I thought, well, I've directed shows before. You know, it's not impossible to deconstruct things, to come up with a concept. And so... And they are separate characters. It's not... They're very distinct characters. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There are a number of reasons for me coming up with the idea that you do different actors playing different parts. And one of them was this. It would be wonderful, I thought, for the audience to experience a real transgender person for two hours, not somebody that was a drag artist. Or popping in and out. Who may or may not have been transgender. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, Who just lived, lived as for two hours straight to be Charlotta. And as we ended up with the casting, we ended up doing all 33 parts with just four actors. And just as a test, we did a reading over at the Donk House, where a lot of the audience actually spoke German. We're from Germany. Oh, cool. Including, the, yeah, the manager was actually born and raised in East Germany. Oh, wow. The, the experiment went well. It was received well. And that was back in April of 2016. And the director who had brought this idea to Andrew Volkoff, the artistic director, said, well, we've got to clear this with the um, playwright. This is a huge change. So he spoke with Doug Wright, who also just a short time later, I believe, was in town. And we got the green light. Now, this has been done in multiple actor versions before. It's almost always been high schools. Oh, Where right. you've got, if you've got 33 roles, well, you, you, you can have yeah. 33 kids that yeah. want to be on stage, right? So, and do good. they play, do, and in high schools, I wonder if they have the main female character played by a girl in high school productions. This is the first professional American version. There have been some semi-professional versions in other countries. The first professional American version with multiple actors and the first time that a transgender actor has played the best transgender part to date that's been written. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of that. Well, well I, thought it was, I thought it was a marvelous production. I was a little curious as to how I was going to react to that mm-hmm. whole premise. And I, I bought into it hook, line, and sinker oh, the moment you. you showed up on stage. It was just absolutely marvelous. Well, one of the advantages to doing this in multiple actor version, which people came up to me and afterwards and said, this is the first time I've really understood the story. Because uh-huh. it's when you are constantly playing both sides of a dialogue or when there's a three or four person scene or multiple people, one person can suggest through their voice and clever little, you know, shift left, shift right, 
who's talking, but it's difficult. And what you never really get well is the relationship. Mm-hmm. Two living human beings looking at each other and responding to each other. We can overlap. We can interact as human beings do. Right. It gives Plus, it a richness look, and a depth. And you look like a woman for the entire time. I think that's important, too, for that character. Well, yeah, this is the first time where the person, could actually, that when doing Charlotta, could actually get the hair. Be full Yeah, I, I had studied her some length, and so I could get the... the the bobbed, short, blonde hair, yeah. and a, a better approximation of her costume. Mm-hmm. And the person playing Doug Wright himself, who of course is a major supporting character in this, was able to also dress as Doug and so on. The other two actors played the remaining, what, 30, 31 roles. Yeah, and they like covered, as you remember, a lot of ground. A lot of ground, <laughs> a lot of ground. Now, you've been transitioned since 2011. Is that approximately correct? That's when things were made public. Yes. Uh, the process started probably as early as 2004. And then when you're older, it takes a little longer to yeah. kind of make sure of certain things. And um, by 2011, partly with Penny's help, I was able to kind of start coming out to people. Actually, that was 2010, wasn't it? A little bit. In small groups friends. Then by 2011, my name had been legally changed. And that's kind of considered the membrane you pass right, through. Right. Yeah. Even if there's other you know, physical and other aspects of your uh, transition from me, that would be it. Mm-hmm. And then it was another four years or so until uh, actually getting back into the profession. Right. You took a hiatus from acting for some years. About 10 years. Yeah. Penny, tell us about your relationship with Delia. When did you first meet? Oh, that was in 1991, and Dee was not transitioned at that point, and you, Dee, was directing a production of Hot L Baltimore at Northeastern Illinois University, and one of the students dropped out unexpectedly at the nth moment before they opened. And oh uh, they, they, they had a Girl Scout jamboree okay. that was more important oh, than, oh than their show. I've never yeah. heard that excuse. That's a new one. So uh, Dee made some calls and, and uh, wound up calling me to see, and we didn't know each other at that point, and I, was, I happened to be between shows and was like, sure, okay, I'll join in. Not so, a long rehearsal period. So no, no. It wasn't much of a <laughs> Thrown right in. But, yeah. uh, so that was it, pretty much. We met as a director and actor. And you've known each other ever since. Yes, we have. And shortly after that, we began dating um, and became married in 1997. And in 2005, we decided we were going separate ways as Dee discovered her, her newfound life. Mm-hmm. And that was when the transition began. Now you're from Tennessee, aren't you? Yes, I am. Are you from a town called Bristol? I am from Bristol. <laughs> the, the birthplace of country music. Oh, wow. Is that what it's called? It, no, it actually is. <laughs> how, it is. How far from Nashville is that? Um, it's about a five hour drive. Oh, a good long yeah. way. Yeah. The other side yeah. of the state. Really. Yeah, Bristol is right in the northeast corner of the state. What? We actually have Virginia on one side of State Street. That's why it's called State Street. And the other side is is Tennessee. Hmm. What so, makes it the actual birthplace? What birth to there? Well, back in the 1920s, <laughs> there was this event called the Bristol Sessions, which was all the folk musicians from the mountains all around there oh. came to Bristol. And it was the first recording session where country music really became a style of music, a uh-huh. genre. 
So the the Carter clan, Mother Maybell Carter, and all of those people were from my hometown. Oh, wow. My grandmother, my mamma, was best friends with Mother Maybell. So I'm very proud of that, as oh, you yeah, can tell. Oh, yeah, you should be, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Someone told me that you may, in fact, be writing about Bristol, Tennessee. Do you have something in the works about that? I do, indeed. Someone, I wonder who, told you that. <coughs> um, <coughs> a little bird. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I am in the process of writing a one-woman play, and it is about my family growing up in northeast Tennessee. I grew up in an unusual sort of house. I was an apartment house with 13 of my relatives in various apartments, And I was very much influenced by the women in my family. There were, really, I had four mothers rather than just the Mm -hmm. one. I had my mother and her two sisters and her mother, my grandmother, Mamaw. They all took part in raising me. And they're all gone now. And I have a story about where I started from with that influence and how I sort of started to leave that home and become an actor. And the choices that you make uh, along the way, uh, as far as are you going to be in the arts and and how do you balance that out with with the people you left behind? Will you play multiple characters in this or just yourself? Well, I would say more myself, but with little moments of other people kind of piping in. I wouldn't say full-blown characters. Yeah. I look forward to seeing it someday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what absolutely. sort of shape is it in? Is it is it getting to be in a place where you're ready to show it? Not quite. I do have the skeleton of it, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to figure out my style mm-hmm. um, and how I want to present it in front of an audience. But I have very very fortunate to have a lot of friends in the business who want to participate and give me their input and their feedback. So I would say within this year, I'll be able to show that to somebody. Do you have a title for it? This is a working title, okay. but uh, I'm thinking of something along the lines of a porch song, oh, because porch song trilogy, no, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if it's I, successful, if it's successful, it could be a porch song yeah. trilogy. Well, it, I picked that because um, I like that actually. Yeah, a lot of my my time spent at home with my relatives was on the front porch uh-huh. on a summer night, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I feel I want to place the play and all the various characters to talk about and maybe even see tidbits of them. Yeah, Yeah. it's really perfect. Delia, how how has your female acting career been going the last couple of years? Have you found it difficult to find parts for yourself, or has the theatrical community fully embraced you as a female actor? I'm curious as to mm-hmm. as to how the Chicago community is is responding. Well, in 2015, I had two readings that were female, multiple female mm-hmm. parts, and I understudied a very very large uh, one of the leads in the the, uh, the Gift Theaters uh, show that they had uh, just done with David Rabe. Good for Otto. Good for, Good for Otto. Otto. Yes, one the the female lead in that I understudied her and. I was ready to go on. <laughs> I, I, I bet had, you were. I had friends come over, and we cleared the place, oh. and I did the entire play, because which, which, of course, was largely in two two chairs, uh-huh. you know, therapist. Yeah. Uh, did you ever get to play it? No, uh. no, no, no. The uh, the actress became a really good friend of mine. So she didn't accidentally break her leg No, one Linda night got when sick a few was, times. One oh. of the ensemble members played her, and she got she was sick, but she's a, quite a trooper. Uh. No, but the point was is that it was almost an ideal introduction, because remember, it had been 10 years since right. I'd even been on stage doing a sure, part. Sure, sure. So and you got uh, to do the preparation and all right. that, yeah. Yeah. 
right while I was understudying there, David Zack at uh, Pride Films and Plays, who, of course, you talked about last time. We had a long program about yes, them you last did. time. And uh, he came to me and he said, well, we've got a play with a transgender female lead, and we're not going to do the play unless we can get a transgender actress that's capable of it. And even though it was a transgender role, it was a transgender woman. This is uh, the role of Andy in um, Raggedy Ann. It was a world premiere. The character was transgender, but she had been living stealth for 30 years. Oh, wow. Which, of course, meant that to all intents and purposes and all appearances and vocally and so forth, she was female. As well as just simply how you self-identified. And that was not really too unusual back in the 80s and prior there was no such concept as somebody living in the world transgender. If you were a celebrity, you pretty much had to come clean. Tula being the model Tula. Come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Caroline Cossey She's was a, a good example girl, of that, yeah. who tried to just live as a female. She was mm-hmm. gorgeous. You would never guess that she had ever been born male or male identified. And she was ripped out of the closet and Believe me, a lot of transgender people took a lesson from that, that if you decide to come out, then you will never be considered female, first of all, and you will always be discriminated against. Mm -hmm. So my character lived stealth, which was an interesting thing Mm. because, yeah, I still got to play a transgender person, but she had to be pretty convincing as someone who lived in the world as a female. So her stealth was the fact that she passed as female without anybody knowing. Exactly, yeah. That was almost sort of a transition into playing. But then uh, I Am My Own Wife character came along just after that, and that, of course, is an actual transgender person. I tried to be true to the actual historical Charlotte von Malsdorf, who really, in terms of her appearance, was female, but not trying to pass strictly. She she called herself transvestite because the word transgender didn't really exist then. Mm -hmm. And to many people's visual impression of her, that would be fair. But only until this year did I actually play a cisgender female. One of the little parts I had done in a reading in 2016 was actually produced in 2017, and that was the musical uh, Albert Cashier. Civility of Albert Cashier. The Civility of Albert Cashier, the entire title, yeah. Yeah. And I played the one cisgender female part. (laughs) <laughs> Good for you. So, so to be clear, you're not looking to just play transgender parts. You're looking to make a career yeah. as a female uh, in the acting world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have you been received uh, at auditions and things? Or is it in the especially in Chicago? Everybody's right? very polite. Um, yeah. And I was actually, after I am my own wife, I was actually given another understudy ship that was for a cisgender female part over for a production at Chicago Shakespeare. Oh, that's understudy. wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. So uh, I'm being considered, and I, am, I think I'm being very well, respected. Well, even understudying, you get your foot in the door, you get to know people, mm-hmm. they get to know you, they can see what kind of worker you are, that you've really you know, worked hard, even though you may not have gone on stage. So all that, I think, you know, can really help. There's a couple of things that have really helped in this process in terms of people getting to just know me as me mm-hmm, right. instead of, oh, there's that transgender person, mm-hmm. Delia. But you said you had to reintroduce yourself to the theater world because you were in part of sense, it as a different person. But part of this process began even before I came out, really, and that was largely due to Penny. During the several years, yes, it did. During the several <laughs> years that I was... Don't look so shocked. Not, when I was not doing theater, but that I was in the process of sort of transitioning in the closet, 
Penny's career just blossomed and boomed and she was doing a lot of work uh, for the first time in equity houses then she got her card and she was playing equity uh, leads at writer's theater where she won her first jeff award her first Ooh. jefferson yes. Yes. for another part of the forest right <laughs> yes that was for for that show yeah and in the process, she very graciously invited me along as a friend to various cast parties, to openings. Uh-huh. So socially, I was still able to not only maintain my friendships, but in fact, actually expand my, my yeah. theater social circle tremendously. Yeah, yeah. And I actually took the step when Dee first decided she was going to start coming out to the world with her, her transition. And some of the artistic directors that I was working with, who I count as friends, I opened up to them to let them know that they may see a change in David to D, so that they would know what was going on. And I think that transgendered issues were really just starting to kind of hit the Mm -hmm. public eye Mm -hmm. uh, around the year uh, 2005, 2006. So all of this was very new, even to what we consider to be very broad-minded artists. But she was welcomed by all the theaters as far as social events and just kind of getting to know what was going on with Dee. It's such a welcoming, inclusive community here in yes, Chicago, which sure is, is. Oh, yes, it is. What, what I love about living here. I asked Frank this at the beginning of the show, and I'm going to ask both of you, if you had the chance to go to another planet, let's say Mars, let's say settlement on Mars, <laughs> do you think you would do it? It would mean giving up several years of your earthly life and, and starting a new theater company. And starting a new theater company <laughs> where you know, the competition would be very thin. <laughs> right, right. You could play any role you want. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about uh, if you had the chance and it was possible to do, Penny? I think I would maybe explore that possibility if it wasn't a permanent move. Right, right. <laughs> I think D is far more into the whole idea of experiencing space, outer space, the planets. But who knows? I might. Probably coming to Chicago was like going to a different planet anyway, I would guess. <laughs> it was at first, yeah. I'm sure it was. <laughs> well, going back to Bristol, for me, was oh, like going to planet. a different planet. <laughs> yeah. It was about what, 94, I think, was my first trip with you back, probably for the holidays Something there, wasn't like that, it? yeah. I had never been south of the Mason-Dixon line, except Uh-oh. for Florida, which doesn't count. Because no, no, the no. places in Florida I was at, it had more people from Michigan and Ohio than yeah. Florida. So I was just really just all ears and eyes and listening to the authentic Appalachian accents Mm -hmm. that were all around me and how friendly people were. That was absolutely true, Mm -hmm. at least to your face. (laughs) Very cordial and warm. But are you going to Mars? Oh, If you had the chance to do that. The only way I would live in outer space is if I could live on the USS Enterprise. Oh, there you go. Period. (laughs) Oh, high five right (laughs) here, baby. Chuckies forever. Oh, my God. (laughs) As long as it was Jean-Luc in charge. Oh, right. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Uh -uh. No, no, no. Oh, you're a Kirk man? Yeah. No next generation. No, no, no. Oh, you're a purist. Oh, my goodness. Absolute, absolute purist. (laughs) 
I have to mention something. Are, are you fans of cabaret? Do you yeah. do the cabaret scene here in Chicago? I know mm-hmm. you probably don't sing, but do you go sometimes? Yeah, I go once in a while. I have friends that, that yeah. do cabaret and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. We've had Becky Menzi on the show before. I wanted to mention that there's a new cabaret space opening up, Frank. Oh, really? Oh, where? In the old Cullen's Pub, which is adjacent to the Mercury Theater on Southport. Oh, wow. Oh. They're going to call it Venus Speaking of going yeah. to other planets. Yeah, really? yeah, and it's going to open in the late spring. Guess what they're going to do there first? You, you, this is, this boggles my mind. I have no idea. They're going to do company. The what? show company? They're going to do company in late March, and I think it's going to be a very limited cast, and they're going yeah. to, you know, uh, mm. multi Cast the Which you could yeah. do with that show, I guess. Which you could do. And, yeah. and followed uh, later in the summer by a seven-person Spamalot. <laughs> this is not cabaret as I well, know it. I, this is what I'm reading. I'm going, well, where, 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 where's the cabaret part come <laughs> right. in? Well, but it, I guess in between those, they'll, they'll have okay. acts. Um, it's about a 100-seat theater. Tickets are going to be probably close to $100 oh. for the show because it'll include drinks and your cover charge and oh, okay. whatever. And, and it's not a very Which big is cabaret-ish. Room, right? But I wanted to hmm. mention Venus, uh, a new cabaret space opening up in the old Cullens hmm. next to the Mercury Theater. Okay. Yeah. Something to watch for. Penny, not only are you an actress, a very accomplished one, and by the way, uh, kudos you. on your performance in Chapati. Thank at you. At Northlight <laughs> last year, you were in that with John uh, Mahoney, yes. a two-hander. Yeah. Sort of a three-hander, but the dog never really made right. an appearance. <laughs> Chapati was the name of the dog. Exactly. Named he was at- written out eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't learn his lines. Yeah, <laughs> named after some after. sort of I- Indian dish. The character of Dan, John's character, talks about an Indian bread called chapati. And that was something he gave to the dog in the play. Yeah. And that's how they met. Well, you were wonderful in that. So in addition to being an accomplished and and wonderful actress, you teach acting or you teach the art of auditioning and acting, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that side of your career. Well, I think I had enough under my belt experience-wise doing enough shows that I felt like I could branch out and do some private coaching. That's pretty much what I do. So I've had a wide range of of people. It can be people who have been away from the business for a while and they're nervous about getting back into auditions. People straight out of university who kind of want to get a feel for what's expected in Chicago. And I've even coached uh, younger people going from high school into college trying to get into a college, uh, you know, for the arts. So it's really just about anybody who's trying to to brush up on maybe styles that they haven't Mm -hmm. done for a while or they don't Mm -hmm. understand. I'm pretty straightforward and easygoing and and not a hard taskmaster. I just (laughs) try to ask good questions so that people will learn how to ask those questions themselves when they go and try to pick out a monologue. I mean, that that seems to be a huge problem for people. Right. Something wonderful. One thing on your website. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. One thing on your website that you Mm -hmm. said, you know, you look forward to working with people who, and one of them is you view auditions as a thing you dread. <laughs> well, I used to. That would be yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. For yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, if, if I were right. ever to try to break into show business. Yeah. And, and give all this up? Oh, I know. Right? <laughs> this is show business, Gary. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> this is it. Man. Closest we're going to get. 
it's true. There's a lot of people out there who dread auditioning. And one of the things I work toward when I'm working with people is getting to the place where you feel more like you're not going to an audition, but you're going to a rehearsal. Uh That mindset kind of helps some people to get rid of some of the nerves. Because, uh, frankly, the directors in this town are so amazing at wanting to work with actors when they come into audition. And many, many times, you're not just there to do it once through. They're going to stop and they're going to work with you. So if you're going to go into an an environment where you feel like you're going to have to almost rehearse it, why not have that mindset from the get-go? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's great. I wouldn't say, Penny, that you and Delia are the same type, but you're not necessarily different types either. Have you confronted the possibility of you being up for the same role? (laughs) Have you gone to an audition together and like run into each other and say, oh, my God. (laughs) That hasn't happened yet, but um, you know what? This town is so great. You you know you're going to see your friends at these auditions. Well, this is Um, what I think. And and it's fairly small. And it would be, if I don't get it, then I hope you get it. If Dee was there, it'd be the same thing. Yeah. You know? I I would love to see her at some of the auditions I go to. I would love to see the two of you in a show together. That I may have to write right. that show. Yeah. Have you thought about that, Delia? <laughs> well, there is Lettuce and Lovage, and there are a few there is, shows you're right. really Lettuce good that require older female parts. And uh, yeah, we've, we've Queen Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots. There you go. <laughs> you yeah. In the good times of moving to Mars, because it's warmer there, <laughs> in a segment that we call Good Times and Bum Times, the Bum Times is Kathy Gilroy of Illinois, a prominent anti-gambling crusader. She won $25,000 at a sweepstakes game at a local cafe, and Gilroy denied any hypocrisy, explaining that the win was, quote, God showing me his grace. Uh, yeah, oh. I need some of that grace. <laughs> For her to be able to continue the noble fight against gambling. Wow. Oh, Jesus. So, so every up. penny of that went into anti-gambling, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Every, of course, every every single God penny God needs to of work that. out some of his uh, priorities mm. here. Yeah. <laughs> penny, you also do something called intuitive readings. I do. Tell me a little bit about that. The beginning of it was that my grandmother, my mama, was what she called a, a fortune teller. Very down-to-earth, nothing like the the crazy gypsy lady that you think of (laughs) image-wise. But I saw her do really wonderful things for people in her readings. And I was allowed to sit at her knee when I was very small while she was doing these readings. And it was more about her being intuitive and sort of hooking into people and seeing what she could see for them as far as what challenges they might have and how Mm. they would move forward. And I had that ability off and on through my childhood, but I didn't talk about it much. And when I got older, I continued not to talk about it much because people wanted me to read their fortunes at all the parties I went to. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. I would. So Larry, Larry Newman Jr. does that. He used does to read he? tarot cards. He used to bring them to every college party and you know, read people's cards. Delia, have you ever done a reading with Penny? Oh, yes. I knew immediately from the time we we met, you know, that this was a talent that she had had. This intuition. Yeah, the intuitive. Strange And and to clarify this a bit, too, this is not a parlor game. Right. She does have an uncanny sense of knowing things about you without ever having 
any other way to know them, but that's not the focus here. The focus is about you and about especially your life moving forward if you've got various opportunities what ones might be better. Sounds almost like a therapy session in a way. It's exactly like a therapy Mm -hmm. session in a sense. It is a bit, yeah. And uh, many of uh, Penny's clients actually are people within the profession. And to have Mm -hmm. somebody that has this skill and this ability that also knows the profession is a really exceptional, wonderful thing. But Penny said, people that are really close to me, it's almost like I'm not blind, but you just, what did you say? You'd prefer not to? Well, I'm prejudiced because I know kind of what their desires are and what they would like out of life. So it it does tend to color any readings that I have with people I know very, very well. But I think I'm getting better at that. I think I'm getting better at being objective and, and kind of stepping back and I think that what I find the most useful thing about it is sitting down with somebody, what I attempt to do is to be gentle with other humans. We're so hard on ourselves, especially actors, very hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I try to approach everything I see, whether it's challenging or positive, I try to put the focus in on what can we do about it? What, What can you look at that maybe you need to change in order to feel more gratified with everything. Mm. I'm very curious about this, and I'm very interested in doing a session Mm. with you. Oh, wonderful. Um, So if I were to come to you, do I just come with whatever I bring into your room? Uh, And I love cats, by the way. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I have two (laughs) kitties. I know you have a couple. (laughs) Be warned if you have allergies. All I ever ask anybody is uh, think about if there are questions that you have that you want me to focus in on, because these readings are kind of varied because day to day, person to person, I never know what I'm going to pick up on. So it could be that I talk about a lot of things that I feel are important, but I might not hit on that one important question you have. So I can then answer, you know, to the best of my ability, what that question is at some point in the reading. I ask this of a guest every now and then. I'll ask both of you, because I'm always curious about the answer. It's really usually a lot of fun. What did you pretend as a child? Well, um, I, I think from early on, I was getting into the acting stuff. When I was very small, I remember putting on my grandmother's clothes and every piece of jewelry she owned <laughs> at one time, <laughs> and then pretending to be an old lady. <laughs> Uh, And I would spend hours in front of a little vanity mirror that my mother got me and would play with play makeup and I would wrap towels around my head in different ways because that was one way I could have different hairstyles. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Um, And of course I jumped around with a hairbrush and sang in the radio. Right. But I spent a lot of time on my own daydreaming and pretending to be a secretary and I would take out my brother's robot, which had two little metal doors on it that if you touched them just right, they sounded like a typewriter keyboard because <laughs> I didn't have a little typewriter. <laughs> so I would spend hours clickety-clicking away and, you know, writing out funny little notes to myself. As secretaries in those days would have done. Oh, yes. They all used robots. How about you, Delia? Anything <laughs> particular that you pretended when you were, when you were a youngster? To be normal. <laughs> you had to pretend, huh? But- well, Partly. That, that's, that's, a, that's a fair answer. No, it yeah. is a fair answer. I'm, and I'm not saying I had any awareness of my gender status when I was young. I absolutely did not. I just knew that I really didn't fit in and that something wasn't quite right. But it, it wasn't even 
anywhere on my pl on my mental uh, scope, even after transgender people like Renee Richards and uh, Carolyn Cossey came into the public sphere. Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, they were all the rage in the early 60s. Yeah. And yeah. I, I got a little coonskin cap and some leather things for my grand uh, fringe. Because of the television shows, you mm -hmm. mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Daniel was it, uh, Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett were, uh, Davy Crockett was a, uh, I think they, uh, Fess Parker, and if I remember. Fess Parker played, played them both. Da actually. I think right. he did. Yeah. 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 One was a Disney movie, and yeah. the other, the a TV series. The TV, was show. TV series right. was You're Daniel right. Boone. Daniel Boone was a man. <laughs> was a big man. No, I do very ironic <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> but I would go out also by myself largely and just there was a little small forest by where my grandparents lived and I took my little gun out and I was hunting the bears and yeah. things of that nature. Yeah. Have I asked you this mm -hmm. question, Frank? You haven't asked me, and I don't think I can top those answers, so I'll have to save my answer for next time. Oh, okay. It's not a competition. <laughs> Something I... <laughs> yes, it's not a competition. I know, I know, it's just an exhibition. Please, no <laughs> wagering. <laughs> we mentioned the fact that we did a Pride Films and Plays uh -huh. and the Pride Arts Center show the last episode. I wanted to follow up on that with something that one of our guests, Nelson Rodriguez, mentioned. And Algun Lugar, which hmm. is a yeah. film that he is in, yes. uh, which means In Some Place, is going to finally premiere at the Pride Arts Center on Yay. February 25th at 7.30. Uh, that's at 4139 North Broadway. For those of you from out of town, that's on the north side. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the writer-director, Tadio Garcia, will be there, along with other members of the cast and crew in attendance. Uh, are you going that evening, Frank? I'm sure I will, yeah. I've seen it already. It's very yeah. good, yeah. but I think I would go. I should also mention another thing. We talked about Dan's film, Counting, which was filmed in Delia's apartment. Yay! <laughs> They were talking about it, and Dan was wondering about spaces, and when he described he, what he wanted this apartment to look like, Delia said, uh, I think that's my apartment. <laughs> yeah, he said he wanted a space that looked like a couple of old ladies had lived in it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have antique furniture, so that's just Antique what made furniture, it. Yes. exactly. Uh -huh. It's but a lovely were, apartment. It I is. Mean, yeah. And there were issues with air conditioning, and it was on the third floor, <laughs> oh my and then God. they didn't have enough power, hot. so they had to bring up power. So there was all kinds of this fun was like stories. July, wasn't it? It was July. The day one yeah. was all outdoors, and it was in the shade in a very bucolic spot, which yeah. I had actually scouted. Mm -hmm. And it was a place that Penny and I actually went that was a beautiful, beautiful bungalow with a side lot that was a garden. And in front, in their little tiny front yard by the sidewalk there, they have a couple of benches. And that's what they needed for the 1950s part of it. Yeah, Right, it you had to have a public perfect. bench. And it was just gorgeous. And it's very hard outdoors if you yeah. don't have a big budget to simulate 1950s. Correct. Because everything's gone pretty much except for a few old hot dog stands and yeah. churches. And then the second day of the shooting was in your apartment where it takes place. And it place was about 200 in degrees in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, because of the noise factor, I had window units. I had to turn those off. Yeah, right. of course. And I told them right at the start of the day, I said, everybody who's not essential, you're going to be down in the front yard. Yeah. And people will come to you because we've got to keep as few bodies in my little one-room uh, vintage apartment as possible. Mm -hmm. And everyone's going, oh, well, all right, okay. Within 10 minutes, everyone's going, yeah. <laughs> Am I essential? Can I get I out of here? Say, yeah, Who else I, can leave? I, I, Who else can go? <laughs> <laughs> I volunteer to go to the front yard, please. <laughs> but you're the lead actress. You can't go. <laughs> Speaking of films and television, have you auditioned much for the uh, electronic media? I didn't do that much of it even before transitioning. I did, a, I did some of that industrials and things of that nature in the 80s. 
as soon as I came to Chicago, my Michigan agent found all kinds of work for me in Michigan. So I ended up going back. <laughs> of course. Um, but by coincidence, uh, just this last week, I did finally uh, sign on with uh, Big Mouth Talent, the same agency uh-huh. that, actually, that, that Penny's uh, Congratulations. Thank Excellent. you. They are lovely people there. And uh, the two owners said, there's things we can be sending you on. Oh. I'm glad you're coming to us because there is suddenly an interest in transgender mm-hmm. people. And there's also an interest in incorporating them more for cisgender roles. Most of the parts that are available are generally for very young Young, yeah. pretty. Yeah. yeah, cisgender people like people that look more like them. And mm. of course, they want someone who's 100% passable as cisgender female. That's understandable. Yeah. But for middle-aged and for older parts, and for, or for parts where it's really not that necessary to look gorgeous female. Or a part that is actually for a trans person. Or a part that's for a transgender yeah. person. Or Which that I could be interpreted. As, Ma- yeah, many yeah. movie roles, of course, that you're up for here in Chicago are fairly small parts. They're not going to be big uh-huh. leads necessarily. And many of them, if you're a librarian with 10 lines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, hear there's, an, I hear there's an opening at Transparent. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you should mention oh. that because both he and, and Jill, uh, the creator, both considered Transparent a sort of transitional type it of is. show. Yeah, that be- right. Because of the notoriety and acceptance that their show has along with others, has helped create... And his name probably helped put the show on well, the map to begin with. Yeah. yeah, But of course, with casting, it's that typical double-edged sword. Well, we want somebody who's a name. Well, how are you going to get a name unless you get the opportunities? Yeah, there are no right. transgender actors that may not be a name in terms of household names, but their oh, faces are getting Cox. more familiar. A lot of people exactly, there, and yeah. they've shown that they are wonderful performers mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. For this part also, for the part in Transparent, Rod Jeffrey... You do need to see them as a cisgender male at the beginning. That's true. Because they've lived that way, and they're just at the very, very start of their transition. If they recast the role but keep the character, then it would be good to have a trans trans woman play it. Because by then, there's not going to be any more male. Because the last couple seasons, he's not gone back to being male at all. The last season, they were looking at their Jewish roots. They weren't Mm -hmm. even talking about that issue. It was like, okay, it's a transgendered person. Let's move on and let's talk about other issues. His transition wasn't the focus of the show. So they could have a trans woman on it now. Well, what's interesting is if anybody has seen season four is that the daughter, the young daughter, is actually having gender identity issues, that she may be a female-to-male transgender person, and they didn't actually resolve that. It's Gabby Hoffman's character. Right. The actress, yeah. And so if they need a trans parent in order to have, you know, the name and the theme of the show and so on, and if she decides to have a child... You've got a trans parent mm-hmm. with the existing cast. Well, That's yes. true. And you can just have Jeffrey's character be written out to move somewhere or pass away or move whatever. move trans to somebody else. <laughs> they will not recast that show. Okay. I don't know. I can't say that. I'm not one of the creative team. But from you what I have heard it. and just because it's not necessary, mm-hmm. I would be very surprised. Jeffrey owns that part, mm-hmm. really, has a stamp on that part. Yeah, nomination. There was, there was a, a conjectural article about, well... Who's going to replace Jeffrey? Are there any transgender people that are the right age and they've got the, um, the skills? My name and face was one of four, five, six I, people. I can, I can uh, easily understand that. that. Absolutely. 
do you know Alex Billings, Alexandra Billings? Because she's on that mm-hmm. show as well. I had seen her several times and had been introduced to her early in my transition years when I was uh-huh. still kind of in the closet. A friend of mine was a good friend of hers, but I didn't get to really meet her until she came back to do a benefit from Pride Films and Plays back in 2015, and we had a chance to really talk and get acquainted. Now we're Facebook friends and so forth. She's a marvelous She's actress. She's an amazing, a lot of the, yeah. Chicago theater history. Well, a lot. talk about cabaret. She was the yeah. chanteuse chante she was for the, years and years. The it person here she was, in Chicago yeah. for a long time. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. And her role on the most recent season of, of Transparent was expanded. I mean, she was mm-hmm. in it a lot more than she had been. So yep. yeah. that would be someone else that they could build up that part and make her more a part of the show. Uh, Penny, where can people go to find out more about not only your coaching, your mm-hmm. acting coaching, but also your your intuitive readings? I have a website. It's it's a very straightforward little website uh, that Dee actually did for me. Just go to pennyslusher.com. And that's slusher, S-L-U-S-H-E-R, just like it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. The Uh, landing page is for the intuitive work, and then there's a menu. And you go to the menu, it's it's basically divided into the the acting and theater-related and then the intuitive. Do you have a website, Delia? Uh, Yes. 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 Mine is the real Delia. <laughs> I love that. I, love that. that was, I was so pleased that that was available. <laughs> That's fantastic. TheRealDelia.com. The real D E L I A. All one, no dots between that. The real Delia is all one. The real Delia. The one. boom dot, and then dot. com. Okay. Great. Yeah, and I document. I document my work quite thoroughly because I would like people to know what I'm doing. I'd like them to know about me. And to kind of keep track of my story as I'm going through. There are so few of us with a lot of theater experience and history that are transgender. I'm in the process of creating another website, one of my upcoming projects, where um, I'm hoping that transgender people and cisgender people will be sort of able to meet theater people, mm. film and TV people. Ah, yeah. I get a lot of, I'm getting a lot of uh, interest now. Hey, I need, I need a 30-some-year-old male-to-female transgender person. So this will be for a casting purposes, potentially, for educational purposes. If uh, somebody of a cisgender person in Minnesota wants to do a play, and they say, hey, I just see that you did this play with a transgender character over there in upstate New York. How did that go? They can, uh-huh. They'll be able to see all the productions that have had transgender uh, talent or themes and be able to connect with those people oh, over there. God, that is so neat. So we can build yeah. on what we know because right now we're all kind of making this up as we go along mm-hmm. in terms of us finding a place in our society and in terms of us finding a good place in theater, which mm-hmm. is, of course, just reflects that society. And uh, the advocacy work I do is built around that. Besides what I have on my own website, I want to have a general purpose website that where maybe you could track down every single transgender actor, playwright, director, et cetera, all, all creative Clearing people. Clearinghouse for all that. That sounds great. So that if a theater wants to be inclusive, they'll have this as a tool. Or if all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, we need a transgender person and they've not had any contact with any, like what do we do? There's a place mm-hmm. for them to go. Yeah. Exactly. 
Speaking of places to go, I have to do a shameless plug here. <laughs> if you like what you hear on Booth One, you can support our efforts in bringing you the finest in the art of lively conversation and fascinating guests like Delia and Penny by going to our website at www.booth-one.com. That's one O-N-E, Frank. And click on the donate button. Uh, yeah, it's quick, it's easy, it's fully tax deductible. Any and all contributions would be greatly appreciated. Penny and Delia, I have one more personal question for you both. If you could have done anything else other than a career in the performing arts, what would you like to have tried? No holds barred. Imagine that you had the skill Mm -hmm. or the physical ability to do this or whatever it would take. Uh, Is there something that you would have liked to have tried, Penny? I would have been a country vet. Oh. Like like farm farm vet, animals farm animals. Farm animals. Oh. Ask her what her favorite British TV series is. <laughs> well, I, I, think I, I, can I, guess. I think I think you just did. What is it? <laughs> All things bright and beautiful. <laughs> all creatures great and small. All of them. I have all the books. I was going to guess the Great British Bake Off, but oh, that's well, not that's, right. Oh, that's, that's a close second. Isn't that a good show? <laughs> oh, that's a good show. Yeah. A country vet. Did did you have much experience with? that kind of thing as a child or no I just always loved animals and uh, well frankly I would move to England or Ireland and and do it there a lot of sheep you'd have y- to work on sheep I love sheep oh, that's good sheep are one of my favorite sheep things. are her favorite oh well that's good animal. then yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> sheep and leprechauns yeah yeah <laughs> What a wonderful <laughs> career. Do, do you have any background in medicine? Did you study that at all? Well, actually, school? you kind of do have I, the background. I do in a very roundabout way. For the last 20 years, I've worked off and on in between shows as a standardized patient simulator at various universities. What is that exactly? That is where you learn various medical cases as a patient. You learn the symptoms. You learn the timeline of when things happen. You get a whole background story of what's your family, all that. And the medical students at various universities, they all have programs now. I work at Rosalind Franklin University mostly. But the the medical students are scheduled throughout the year from the first year through the fourth, and they come through and we present cases to them so they can practice taking a history and doing a physical exam. So you're acting as the sick person? Yes. You have to learn Uh the symptoms. You have to display certain things. It's like being the sick person on a Uh, uh, episode of House. Exactly. You have to do all the the research and Mm -hmm. you have to present all the symptoms. Yeah, Except and, you have to know right. the medical side as well. Well, right. yeah, because we have to fill out a checklist when, once the student leaves the room. We fill out, did they do this, 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 and this as oh. far as the physical exam maneuvers are concerned, and did they do them correctly? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So the um, patient oftentimes, in this case, knows more than the doctor. Well, yeah, because they're th- this is exactly. their learning experience, and we have the answers. Right, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so. What's the most unusual disease or condition that you ever had? In the, in this, not in your life. <laughs> right, Not right, in real right. life. I would say one of the more puzzling ones was a, a case of lupus, which has mimicking symptoms of lots of other ailments. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. almost always... Mm-hmm. Don't get that. Mm-hmm. Well, when she does a head-to-toe exam, I know because I did a little bit yes, of this for a few years. Too. The checklist was over 220 items, and yeah. they could be in any order. It's not like you could memorize them like a script and exactly how they need to be done. That finger needs to come there and go left really? and right for the visual acuity. You've got it's extremely wow. useful for the students. Cool. They yeah. all 
very much appreciate. But a lot of work and preparation. Well, you're yes. making better doctors mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but how much fun and how it is. It's very how rewarding. It's good acting training too. Yeah. It really Absolutely. is good acting training. Mm-hmm. Talk about backstory. And you really have to be real. You know, you uh-huh. can't put on a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to be a person. Yeah, a real sick person. Delia, how about you? Is there something you would have liked to have done other than a career in the performing arts? Mm-hmm. All through my childhood, I had pretty much figured I'd be an artist, a painter. In my high school years, I was able to snag a free ride to Michigan State University based on my art ability. Wow. All my tuition, everything paid for. Nice. And about two terms in my freshman year, I just realized it was not for me. And right next to the art center was Fairchild Theater, where the art the theater department was. <laughs> yeah. I just some, wandered on over. <laughs> and, you know, I'd done some plays in high school. I figured I can audition for that. So uh-huh. I might have continued on with that if I didn't realize that I had other options. And she's very talented. Do you still paint? Not very much. Oh, Penny, don't do me that. She gives me a lot of grief about this. <laughs> I'm always, why aren't you doing this? <laughs> uh, I don't know why. It's just something that I found that it was easier. I guess I was so, it was such an intimate part of who I was. It was just easier to let that go in a funny way. Mm-hmm. Penny's actually a very good painter. She's taken that up later in life. Yes, she does. Don't doesn't. divert the subject. I'm, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm, oh she, she even sees through my diversions. God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, our Kiss of Death segment this week is a woman named Mary Edelman. Any of you know Mary Edelman? I do not. You mentioned something that's related to this story a little earlier, Penny, about typewriters. Mary Edelman, whose Manhattan typewriter repair shop tended to machines with shift-locked keys that would do neither and carriages (laughs) that would not return, and to the people who pounded away on them for decades, Mrs. Edelman's shop called Osner Business Machines at 393 Amsterdam Avenue in New York, just south of 79th Street, was an emergency room for typists with bent keys, problematic platens, and ruined ribbons. It was a dusty leftover from a time before word processors and even more newfangled computers are you writing your one-woman show longhand? Are you using a computer? Are you using typewriter. an old typewriter? Tell me you're using an old typewriter. Longhand at this point. Oh, that's even that's Whoa. even cooler. That's yeah. low-tech. Yeah, low, low, low-tech. Osner Business Machines was a place that at its busiest would be jammed with typewriters that could be repaired, cannibalized for parts, or sold. She maintained that a typewriter was a personal item that has meaning, not just a piece of metal, but the shop was not just about typewriters. It became an Upper West Side fixture in the lives of people desperate to keep the words flowing. Mm. The shop attended to typewriters Typewriters of such well-known writers as Isaac Bashevis Singer, David Jeez. Mamet, Eric oh. Maria Remark, Nora Ephron. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I don't oh, like oh. Nora. I'm not a big Nora Ephron fan, but I, I, I appreciate that but she took dead. her machine in. Well, there's she that. She can't fight back. Yeah. Uh, Gene Shalit and Philip Roth. Joseph Heller of Catch-22 fame wow. had a Smith wow. Corona with keys that flew off. The novelist David Handler was so grateful for Mrs. Edelman's assistance that he made her a character in a mystery, The Girl Who Ran Off with Daddy. I, I have oh. not read that. <laughs> 
Every time you go in there, I won't make it. Apparently, uh, he probably <laughs> took his typewriter in there. I think he probably does because he does write his own typewriters yes, and longhand too. Every time you'd go in there, uh, it was always filled with people. That little shop crammed with people. One longtime customer, the playwright Peter Schaffer, author uh-huh. of, oh, yeah. author of Equus and Amadeus. Yeah. It was like a cabin scene and a night at the opera. He said you couldn't get in the door. <laughs> wow. Murray Schiskel, who typed out his play, The Typists, in the 1960s, called the time he spent at Mrs. Edelman's shop, quote, the best hours I spent with people other than my bartender. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least he was honest. (laughs) Yeah, really. Mrs. Edelman was the centerpiece. She was serene, courteous, efficient, get it done. She was like your aunt, and you respected her. She was born Marie Golinski. This is a little history of her in 1928 in Antwerp, Belgium, the daughter of a Jewish couple who wanted to name their daughter Miriam after the sister of Moses and Aaron in the Old Testament, but were forced to choose a different name from a registry that Mrs. Edelman said did not permit Jewish names. So they named her Marie. After fleeing Belgium and the occupying Nazis in 1941, she lived in London, then moved to Canada in 1954 and began a long-distance romance with Stanley Edelman, who had been born in Poland and had been in five concentration camps in World War II. They had been introduced by a cousin of hers, Mr. Edelman, living in New York, drove to Toronto to see her every weekend until they got married on Christmas Eve, 1954. Mr. Edelman, who had learned to repair typewriters in Munich after he was released had met the Manhattan shop's owner Carl Osner in 51 and went to work there when Mr. Osner's one employee quit. (laughs) (laughs) The the guy who repaired the keys. Mrs. Edelman joined her husband after and took over the Osner shop in 1968. The shop unfortunately closed in 2001. But as the years passed and typewriters were overtaken by word processors and then personal computers, Mrs. Edelman complained that they made writing too easy. Hmm. Uh. Just press the button and the computer will do it, she said. Such convenience, Mrs. Edelman said, has done away with craftsmanship. Hear, hear. <laughs> Mary <laughs> Edelman, fixer of broken typewriters, 89 years old. Wow. wow. You don't think for our younger listeners, you should explain what a typewriter is? <gasps> oh. Google. Google it. Yeah, that's a good idea. I can't. Google. Well, that's our Kiss of Death segment for this mm. week. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate both of your candor and uh, honesty and uh, your openness uh, on Booth One today, Penny and Delia. You've been wonderful guests. So happy you could join us, and I hope mm-hmm. you had a good time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had a great time. Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation. You and Delia are perfect guests for this show. Can mm-hmm. I put that That's on my resume crazy. under skills? Yes. Yeah. You, you perfect, may put that on your resume under skills. <laughs> Some of your other skills include stage combat mm-hmm. and taekwondo do karate. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Do you keep up with that? Absolutely not. I would hurt myself. <laughs> but it's funny though. I actually remember all the moves and everything. And uh, so, if you had I, to, in a show, oh, yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure how many transgender taekwondo movies there are. Well, you're, or you're or also plays, I'm 61 years old, and if I got my foot above my head, I'm not sure I would ever get it down again. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that feels. <laughs> Frank, um, thank you very much no, for uh, co-hosting once it again was an today. Honor to be with these two. Uh, we're in the process of renovating our website at the aforementioned booth-one.com to make it easier for listeners to comment and send us feedback. Mm-hmm. So watch for those new changes. And for Booth One, my co-host Frank Taranjo and my guests Delia Crop and Penny Slusher. This is Gary Zabinski saying so long and keep listening. Mm-hmm.